everybody. Welcome back to 30-something with Sunny. This is the podcast where we talk all about motherhood, self-care, and second chapters. Wow, we got a good one for you today. Uh, Have you asked yourself this question over the last week? Maybe three days, maybe 24 hours, maybe 45 minutes. I know it's on repeat in my head. What am I going to do about school for my kids? Um, It is a loaded question, and no matter where you are, parents are having a difficult time deciding whether or not virtual or in-person is the best option. Now, I know there are some states who have made this decision a little easier by um, officially closing school campuses until the start of next year. I'm jealous of people living there because I wish someone would make this decision for me. It is not the case here in Florida, which is also a massive hotspot for COVID right now. Um, not going to lie, it is pretty scary being in a place where you wake up to news of literally thousands of new cases daily. So just like you, I have been struggling with that question and I thought, why not cast that question out to an expert? So that's what I did. I have on Michelle Tishy today. She has a PhD in educational psychology from the University of Minnesota. She graduated with an emphasis in positive psychology, human development, and social psychology of education. She has over 16 years experience. She works as a professor, a teacher educator, a mentor, a coach, and a consultant to parents, which is huge and very necessary right now. She also consults with schools and other institutions. She is a proud mother and stepmother of five children from 19 all the way down to six years old. And she says her vision professionally and personally is for every child to be honored for who they are. So here's the deal, guys. This conversation is, um, it's very detailed and very long. We talk about our friends here in Florida and California because those are the hotspots right now, but we touch on suggestions for parents everywhere. So if you hear us kind of digging in right now on um, some local Florida things or things local to California, do not tune out because we broaden the conversation as well. And we have, I mean, the whole thing, is, is for all parents. So here's what I want to say at the outset, because with issues like this, you know, the gavels come out and people judge, (laughs) you know, it's a hot topic because parents are making different decisions right now, right? Maybe your best friend is deciding to send her kids back. You're doing virtual. This conversation is not here to judge anyone because it is important to be respectful of the reasons that people arrive at their independent decisions. And listen, this is a novel virus. This is not something we know much about. So to a certain extent, all of us are flying blind and making this decision. So I'm here to say I honor you. I honor your decision. I honor that amazing motherly instinct you have that you have been using to guide you. So I see you, sister. Um, but Michelle is digging into kind of both sides, positives and negatives of each side of this decision. I know that you will love everything she has to say. I will mention this on the flip side of the podcast too, after our interview, but Michelle is actually offering complimentary 30 minute consultations with parents. As I said, part of her job is consulting individually with parents to decide on an education plan that's best for their kids. So if you're stuck especially if you're stuck in in a hot spot of a state like here in Florida and you really want to ask an expert what your options would be if you do choose virtual, you need to take advantage of this amazing thing that she is um, putting on right now, a free 30-minute consultation. So I'm going to tell you how to get that at the end of this podcast. Again, this is Dr. Michelle Tishy, educational expert, mentor, and educator.
enjoy the episode and I'll talk to you guys on the flip side. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of 30 something. We have educational psychologist, Dr. Michelle Tishy here. Michelle, thank you for coming on the show. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, we're excited about today's episode, Michelle, because this is a topic that's been just on the minds and hearts of parents for weeks now. We don't know what the hell to do with our kids when it comes to going back to school. So I'm hoping by bringing you in, and we actually have a ton of viewer and listener questions too, so um, that you can help us kind of determine what factors matter most in this. So first things first, is there a right or wrong answer when it comes to sending our kids back to school this year? There's none absolute. And here in Florida, I think we have a more complicated decision than a lot of people do nationally um, because we are dealing with a true public health crisis in the midst of opening schools very quickly here. So for many people, that factor is gonna be a very large factor um, that influences their decisions. If, if, you are, if we have listeners and viewers who are other places in the country, they may have a bit more ease in this decision because they're looking at schools that may not be opening until after Labor Day which allows for a lot of things to change. Yeah, you know, I have to say that was my first instinct when all of this happened. Obviously, I'm not an expert. You did study, you have your PhD in educational psychology. So you understand how the systems work in addition to all of the other factors. But our first question, mine, several of my friends, my husband was, why don't we just, especially here in Florida, where it's a hotspot, push everything back until October. And then we don't have to make these like, harebrained decisions about, okay, two days virtual, two days in person. I mean, why aren't we doing that? That's my first question. That one, I I can't give us a straight answer. I don't, I've done my research on this. I've looked at every variable that's gone into that decision. And at the end of the day, I'm afraid that that was a very political decision. I don't know what the factors were. I have not spoken to a superintendent, a principal, or a teacher in the state of Florida in the last two weeks who believes that this is a good decision. What have to stop you there? Why is it happening? Can you, maybe you can explain the educational system to us and why it's so motivated by politics, because that to me is just astounding (laughs) that, you know, you said, you just said, I spoke to so many educators and they all agree that, so wait, what, how is this happening? Money. So they were threatened, um, they were directly threatened with losing all their state and federal funding if they didn't abide by opening schools in Florida by the end of August in person. It was direct and it was directly tied to their funding for the year. So, okay, if we're a district and we are assessing what or how to bring our kids back, what are some of the things that they're looking at? Of course, safety is one thing, but I guess what I'm more specifically asking is how do they end up weighing all of these factors against one another to decide exactly how to do this. Because if I'm in charge of a school, I feel like that's a huge task. It is a huge task. And I can speak very in depth about the process that both Orange and Seminole County went through um, because they were very deliberative and they were very public in their process. Um, Both of them had public hearings took feedback from the community, um, from their teachers, etc. cetera. Um, but at the end of the day, the superintendent and the school boards made the final decisions. So we have two different outcomes. Orange County did push back their start um, a little bit more significantly 
with a little bit more um, detail in how they're rolling things out. Seminole County pushed back by one week and decided that they were going to just go with what their original plan was with a few minor tweaks. Um, we have a lot of concerns. I live in Seminole County with the way that these decisions ended up um, because we don't yet have the safety protocols in place the way we need them for the teachers to feel safe. Um, Orange County is a much larger district and they weighed a lot more heavily than need to make sure that they had um, all their health and safety systems in place before opening. So they gave themselves more time to do that. I know that um, Lake County has similar model, but they came to their decision faster. And Osceola County was the first to delay their, their start as late as possible. Um, so they went right up to the end of August in order to give themselves time to make sure that what they're rolling out will work for people. Okay, I want to speak in as general terms as possible because yep. I know we have listeners all across the country. Yep. So if we want to run back exactly how these districts are deciding whether or not to go back, could you explain that? Because I know your background is in a lot of, um, you know, you work with both sides of, of, of the operation here, the districts and the teachers, people who are educating and the parents and the students who are on the other side. So just generally speaking, what are these things that districts are looking at? So the interesting thing in Florida, it, it, and this has happened a couple of other places where they've gone to more open hearings, they're hearing the need from parents to have the schools reopened. So although the, a lot of us are very worried about the schools opening quickly, there's also a lot of people who are very worried about the schools not opening face-to-face. -face. So as a contrast, I think Florida and California are an interesting dichotomy right now. California made the decision based on public health issues solely that they are going to have all education from preschool through graduate school completely virtual until January 1st, 2021. That was done under the understanding that the public health needs of the state override any of the intricacies of what individual parents or school districts think they need. On the other hand, Florida has seemingly been much more um, grassroots democratic about things, but the challenge is, is that we also ended up in a very different situation here because we had districts not being able to make autonomous decisions. Um, if I talk more broadly about other parts of the U.S. especially, a lot of states still have time and they're just now this week and next week starting to have open-ended school board meetings where parents can show up, where other concerned citizens can come into the conversation. So they have to weigh public health issues, funding issues, how do they make sure that they have continued food and childcare available if they delay starting for students who qualify for free and reduced lunch. And then they have to know whether or not they have the technological resources in their community to keep kids on a virtual um, educational plan if that's what they decide to do. If I'm a parent, and maybe this is colored by my experience of living in Florida, and I'm going in expressing my concerns, particularly about, say, the safety of teachers and students from a health perspective, um, 
I'm not feeling like those concerns are being heard right now. Now, this could be because we're in a state, and I'm not saying this is me personally or reflects my decision, but I'm hearing from lots of people who are choosing the virtual option that they are, in fact, going to these meetings and bringing um, real concern and real questions that they feel, no matter what they say, um, is still not being supported or honored. What have you been hearing about that group of, of parents out there and how, if you were a district, would you better hear them out and accommodate them? I, I'm gonna be very professional about this because my personal perspective is a lot stronger than this, but professionally, I, I think parents need to keep being loud. They really need to keep having their voices heard um, because right now, um, things like concerns about losing budgets is overriding public health and parental concern in the state of Florida. I'm happy to say that is not true nationally. Um, I am happy to say that there are a lot of states in this country right now who are having public hearings where the will of the parents and the teachers is overriding any internal fighting within those states. Um, and I'm sad that we live in a state where right now um, infighting among political leaders and educational leaders are overriding the needs of the parents and the teachers. And that's a problem. Sure, sure. And, and you know what's interesting, Michelle, is that as you have seen, I'm sure, in your various media appearances over the past couple of weeks on this, each side feels very strongly. And understandably, I think logically, regardless of what side of the fence we're on, we can, as parents, look at each side and respect the reasons that parents or, or guardians are making the decisions they're making in regards to virtual versus in person. Here's my question. Is there, is there a right or a wrong answer? Because we're talking about districts that now have to drop contingency plans should a teacher fall ill, worst case scenario, die. Same with anyone else who is physically in the building where they could be potentially exposed. So I want to say that it's something that, you know, you kind of have to respect both sides. But when you look at the worst case scenario, um, and again, this being a novel virus, I know there are people out there who say, well, look, what about the flu? Yes, the flu. We understand the flu. But I'm, the, the, the angle of this question is specific to a novel virus about which we have very little long-term information. So just kind of keeping that in mind. Um, it, it does seem like, it seems like a losing game if I'm the person in charge, because there's just so many solid facts on each side. Absolutely. There, there, this is a no-win situation. And not to, you know, go back to something we both already agreed on, which is that perhaps states like Florida should have considered just delaying until we had other things under control. That that would be the most logical decision from every perspective possible. So because we are not under those circumstances, in Florida in particular, um, the decisions we are making are bound to a lot more risk. Um, and so at that point, for a lot of families, if they have the resources and or the capability, I think virtual schooling becomes a lot more attractive option. And I'm speaking as the mother of a six-year-old who just finished kindergarten and did not do well virtually. But the current climate and the decisions and the way they're being made right now in Florida pushed my hand because I don't feel like I have an option. And I'm afraid that that's 
a lot of the dilemma here in Florida in particular. Um, nationally, I think parents still have a chance to have a voice. And I'm not going to say that every parent is going to be happy with every option they have. Um, but this is a novel situation. This is a social experiment. Um, we, none of us have survived this. The last time we had a pandemic globally was over 100 years ago. And yeah. that did not go well either. <laughs> and so we have to remember that this is truly more than a once in a lifetime phenomenon. So deciding based on going back to what was normal is not a great way to look at this. We have to really feel into this moment and what will be the best thing to do because there will never be the old normal. We're yeah. adjusting to a normal normal. That in and of itself, let me tell you, sister, it's like uh, when you think about that statement and try to digest how mm -hmm. forever we will be changed, that in and of itself is enough to just make us just yeah. paralyzed with anxiety and fear. So I'm just going to try to move on without having a panic attack. It is true, though. Nothing will be the same, but that's okay because glass has a glass, glass half full approach. We're going to learn lessons here mm -hmm. that maybe we would never have had occasion to otherwise. I want to play devil's advocate now and give you arguments for each side that you can either contest or agree with, but I want to represent both very strong opinions on this issue. Groups of parents who are sending their kids back to school, they say, listen, my kids need social interaction. They're misbehaving at home. They are not thriving anymore. There's a lack of structure that is um, impacting every area of their lives. And, and overall, I'm comfortable with the risk that whatever health risk is associated with them going back. And to that you say. Can I say that I respect the need for children to have socialization. I understand that we're all going stir crazy. Um, and yet I will just remind us all that this is a novel virus. This hasn't happened on this planet to human beings in over a hundred years. And some of the most tragic stories from the Spanish flu were when children came home from school and got their moms and their newborn baby siblings sick or got grandparents sick and then those people died. And those people now who are still alive have been interviewed and said if they could change one thing about what they lived through as a child, it is not having that risk put on them because they have lived with that guilt for the rest of their lives. Um, if you are sending your children back and you really don't feel into the potential consequences, I, I suggest you listen to some of the interviews with the survivors of the Spanish flu who, who were completely changed by the loss of people because they didn't close the schools at that time. Wow. Um, I had no idea historically that that was something that they even documented. So, so they did go back and check yeah. in with these survivors. Wow. Yes. And recently a couple of really phenomenal um, research journalists have gone and interviewed some of the few American survivors of the Spanish flu who are now in their early hundreds. And you know, these are people who are still sentient enough to, to explain their lived experiences. And it's heartbreaking. Like, and their biggest advice is, you know, be safe and love your family and understand that this too shall pass. And that trying to go back to a normal before this isn't going to happen. The world changes when things like this happen. Um, and we, as, you know, the current generation of parents, 
the closest thing to a monumental um, life-changing event like this was September 11th. But the ripple effects of this pandemic are far greater. I mean, this is the entire planet and this is impacting systems and structures in ways that we can't come back from without reinventing things. Um, so <laughs> that is so much. Listen, we're going to get to the other side of the argument in a second, but I have to pause there because I'm just thinking back to us in March and, you know, we were joking about, you know, getting like quarantine bodies and like baking sourdough. I mean, had our tender little hearts known back then what was in store, even five months down the road where we are now. And this version of ourselves will probably be, you know, will be replaced in a few months with the next one a few months down the road when we see what happens next. It's just really, Michelle, God, it's big. Um, the changes that are happening within ourselves, accepting the world around us, in addition to what's physically happening in the world. It's just a lot. It feels very heavy at times. And I know I'm not the only parent who sits in bed at night before I fall asleep. I just, I could cry. I just, when does it, when does it end? How does it change? What does our world look like for our kids in another couple of years? It's scary. It is scary. And, and what I try to focus on is perhaps this is an opportunity for all of us to reimagine our future and stop trying to go backwards and really think about how do we create sustainable futures that allow us to be responsive in the midst of the world that we actually live in. Let me hop on that quickly. And like I said, we will go back to the argument in a second, but how do you think practically education systems will change? And I'm talking not only, you know, at, uh, elementary, middle, high school, but also higher education systems. Do you see this pandemic forever changing the way that we educate ourselves? And if so, how? I, okay. So there's a, some people are arguing that, oh, it's going to push for more virtual. I actually would suggest that the pain of having kids pushed into virtual schooling has actually awoken the education system to how much people actually value brick and mortar schools. I think that for the first time in my career, people like you and every listener to this call who doesn't know a lot about education really value teachers in a way that they haven't in their entire life. Yes. And that is a huge wake up call. And so I've known for a long time, teachers have known for a long time that we need to put more intention, more resources into our education system in order to be doing the best by our kids. And this was a true test of that. And I'm hoping that parents and other community members will see how important education is and stop putting it on the back burner because education has been under-resourced for the last 40 years in this country. Maybe we'll um, finally start paying our teachers well. Yes. You know, making it worth, literally worth their time to go in. Listen, my dad is a teacher for 30 plus years, a, a high school sports coach. I mean, he was in, I'm not, I'm going to brag on my father for a second, <laughs> but um, literally to this day, I was home several summers ago visiting my parents in Pittsburgh and a grown man knocked on the door and said, Mr. Abada, I just want to tell you, if it weren't for you, I wouldn't have gone to college. I wouldn't have the family that I have. And it makes me like want to cry a little because I, you know, these are people who are in our lives daily. And I think as children, we just, you know, they, they are their teacher. We see them every day. But when you look at the greater impact that these people have, it has been curious to me for so long why um, we don't give them more, not only financially, but 
respect and I mean, there, there's, there's an answer to this, I'm sure, to, on how to treat them better, but I don't know exactly what that is. Maybe you do. Is it a state issue or what? State by state, each, each public school, you know, system has to decide how to like actually make it worth these people's time. Yes. I mean, we, there are things we can do um, at the federal, state, and local level. Um, part of it is remembering that we would have no teacher, we would have no lawyers, doctors, um, or anyone else in this country that's highly educated without great teachers. And your story about your dad is exactly what I'm talking about. A great teacher changes a child's life forever. And if we continue to treat teachers as if they're literally second-class citizens, I mean, there are many places in this country and within Florida where teachers have to take second and third jobs just to keep a roof over their heads and their children's heads. And that's absolutely malpractice. Like these are some of the most important people in our country. We need to really respect them and honor them for what they do for us. And if I could ask for nothing else out of this whole pandemic related to education, it's that we finally recognize that and really start putting the love, respect, and resources into our education system again. Amen. Okay, let's go back to the second option there. We talked about parents who are interested in sending their kids back in person and the reasons why they're saying that got your reaction now for people who tend to be a little more on the hesitant side when deciding whether or not they're going to physically put their kids in the classroom. And they say, you know, like you said, this feels too much like a social experiment to me. I don't want to be the one that sends my kid to school and gets his or her teacher sick. Um, it's just a little too much stress for me to bear to them. You say. I happen to be in that camp and I would say that, um, you will still have challenges because your kids are still going to need structure and they're going to need some some ways to socialize even though they aren't going back to school and so especially because we're looking at going into october or even january in that situation i think we need to start thinking about are there other families that our kids are friends with who are also doing virtual schooling that we can do socially distant rather than virtual play dates with? Are there families that we feel safe with their contact tracing type of information that we can hang out with? If you haven't already, um, now would be a good time to start getting that information. Um, because the reality is, is that our kids do want and need to socialize. And having looked at successful homeschooling families um, in, in amongst all the other things I study, um, I know that great homeschooling families are really good at finding close networks that they can interact with on a regular basis so that their kids don't feel so isolated. Um, and so I would say for the folks who are for sure going back fully virtual for this fall, um, start finding the people you're safe to interact with because um, you and your kids will greatly benefit from that. Yes, absolutely. So build up a social network. Is there um, a trusted website that uh, people can go to to kind of help them not only find other homeschooling parents in the area that you like, like on a national level, but also places that you can recommend people look into for uh, curriculum. Because I also know parents who, because they are choosing the virtual option um, and, and aren't happy with how that's being executed, are pulling kids out of certain schools. So my question for you is a great resource for socialization for kids and a great resource to track down the perfect homeschooling curriculum should they remove their kids temporarily from that so that they can kind of 
adjust it to their needs. So interestingly, I would take advantage of, of local resources. Zoos, museums, um, and places like that have really good homeschooling programs already in place. And they are really putting energy into making those programs more robust and really checking out who's involved so that there's the capacity to create um, small groups of people who show up on the same days and who become familiar with each other enough to feel safe with their kids interacting with each other. Um, so that's a phenomenal resource. Um, and there's also just in any state in the country, you can um, look up your local homeschooling network. Um, and there are different ones for different counties in every state in this country. Um, so that's something that's a little more complicated to say it's just this website, um, because it's really a network of resources. Right. Um, but that's so what are the keywords we would search for then say by state, um, you know, homeschooling resources, Florida, I mean, like what, because I know that I have started to look into what's out there and it, it's a lot. I mean, there's like a virtual, you know, a Florida virtual option. And then there's like, um, independent programs that you can buy. I've also spoken with a tutor who said that I forget the name of the exact curriculum that she liked, but she's like, if you purchase this, then I can come in and blah, blah, blah if yes. we choose virtual. So there were so many things. I was like, I don't even know where to start right now. So in terms, I can help with the curriculum end of things a lot easier than I can with the socialization end of things. Because with the socialization, it's going to be a lot about either on Facebook or online, reaching out and finding your local people. So in Orlando, there's a Facebook group, a meetup group, and um, and a website all dedicated to Orlando um, homeschoolers. And in addition to the zoo and the local museums, those are your best ways to connect with people socially. In terms of curriculum, um, it's gonna depend a lot on what you want your kids to be doing. So there's things virtually um, like Time for Learning, which um, are, you know, robust online curriculums. There's education.com, which has downloadable resources. There's um, Laurel Springs, if you really want to go to a longstanding private um, correspondence school that now has one of the most robust um, virtual and correspondence style private schools in the country. Um, there are tons of interesting resources. If you, on the other hand, are really interested in um, Montessori education or Waldorf education, um, there's even resources available for homeschooling um, specifically dedicated to those models of education. Um, I don't think there's a one size fits all with so much about what we're talking about today. There's individual resources for different types of um, families and depending on what will work well for your family. Um, if you have older kids and high schoolers, there's um, resources that are even sponsored directly through community colleges and um, state universities that are designed for virtual schooling and um, homeschooling high school students. Yeah, it's different depending on, on each level. So that's good to know. And that gives us a starting point so we can yeah. jump off from there. This is... <laughs> My kids are actually right like that. That was an illustration of how the entire summer has gone. Yes. How long? Because, you know, it's not like we can be like, go play with your friends. I mean, it's like a countdown every day until yeah. when they can play an iPad, 
watch a movie. I mean, I know I speak for <laughs> all of us when I say, I don't know how much longer I can handle this. This is when I start to be like, you're going back because I can't do this anymore. It's so much. It is, it is a lot. And you know, that gives us an opportunity to talk about if you have other parents you trust doing um, some swapping. I mean, this is good old school, like people did this in, in the 1950s and 60s where moms especially would trade off mm -hmm. with people they felt comfortable with um, and creating a little bit more of that micro community. Yeah, I think that's a great idea for people who are considering remote, start weeding out not weeding out, that sounds, that sounds cool, but you know, start honing in on your network now, seeking out that tutor if you would like the additional yeah. help with the educational stuff. I want to ask you, Michelle, what are several questions, and I don't want to hold you to just three or four, but what are several questions parents should be asking themselves in order to assess what the best decision for them and their family is right now? And I do want to say there are plenty of um, dual working households whose only and best option right now is in person. And guys, the intention of this podcast it's not to shame anyone, but we're talking about pros and cons of both sides, but I have to put that out there. Should anybody feel in any way um, judged or victimized by how we're talking about things? Um, I just want to say from the outset, you know, we are, we are acknowledging that everybody's kind of got a different scenario here. So bearing that in mind, um, what are some questions we can ask ourselves as parents to decide what to do? Even before that, in direct response to what you were just saying to the audience, I would say in an ideal world, we would have set up free um, education centers with childcare for every child immediately, um, even in the spring if possible, so that children who needed to have their parents gone during the day had a safe place to do their virtual schooling. Um, so I, in no way is anything I'm saying trying to be judgmental against any parents. Um, the problem is a systemic one um, and pushing to start the school year earlier doesn't solve for the fact that we have a lot of kids whose parents don't have a choice. Um, and there are other things we could have done. We have models globally that we could have looked at and replicated. We did not, um, <laughs> which is a problem. Um, one of the things that I would be asking yourself if you have at least um, one member of the family, and it doesn't have to be one of the parents. Um, I, I know a couple of families who have older kids who are high, older high schoolers and college age kids who are supervising their elementary school siblings. I want to borrow them. Where are they? Right? <laughs> I will officially adopt them if they come and help me with my own kids. That's amazing. That's one model. I have. I know of a couple of families that have um, grandparents who, despite the risks, they they chose to quarantine for two weeks. Have grandparents, or at least one grandparent, move in, and now grandma or grandpa is the dedicated person for the kids' activities and um, and education. So if you have extended family that you can tap into, that is a very good option. Um, if none of those are available to you and truly and honestly your only option is to send your child back to school, then I would definitely make sure that your kids understand that this is not going to be the school that they're used to, that things are going to be 
different, that they're going to be a little stressed and strained that, I mean, I, I know this sounds horrible, but we do need to prepare our children for the fact that they are going to be walking into buildings with very stressed out teachers and administrators who are fearing for their lives. That's something we do need to prepare them for. Um, we do need to prepare them for the fact that mask mandates are mask mandates. I don't care what anyone's opinion is about that. That is a public health demand and that there are reasons for that and our schools will be enforcing that period and stop. Don't encourage your child to, to contradict that mandate. That is the way it is. We need any child who's gonna go back to school needs to be prepared to wear a mask at all times other than when they're in their little pod, which is the model that Florida is generally going with. Um, we need to really be prepared to have our kids have some growing pains going back face to face. Um, yeah. I wanna hop in here really quickly too. So let's speak to this topic a little bit more. Specific um, lines of conversation starters maybe we could use for elementary students because I think all of this will go over relatively easy for middle schooler or high schooler who's kind of cognizant of the risks, but what are some specific things parents of younger kids can say to number one, help them understand the importance of keeping a mask and why and how it's different? Like, how do we say this in kids speak? So I'll take a line from my six-year-old. Mommy, this terrible coronavirus, which we've never met before, came to our, to the world and is making people so sick that they can't get better. And because of that, everybody better wear their masks. That's and, simple enough. <laughs> and so whatever version of that works for you in communicating with your younger kids, that's where we start. Like that's very basic, very kid logic. Um, they can understand. And what if they say, but I don't want to wear a mask all day. I can't breathe right. It's uncomfortable to me. Let's find a cool one that you love. Let's, let's actually make this a fun novel activity. Um, and let's find a mask. Like my son loves panda bears. So I got him several panda masks. Um, he also loves the color red. So we got some soft cotton um, masks that are bright red. Um, so making it something that they have some say in will undermine some of that resistance that they may have um and just consistency loving consistency is the key with the mask piece of this sure is it worth getting ahead of some of these psychological difficulties that will inevitably pop up i think um you just mentioned that teachers may be on edge energy is real kids can feel an energy so that they might feel that um they might also not like not seeing people's full expressions, not understand people as fully, hearing them, understanding their meaning and intent. So do we get ahead of all these like little subtle challenges they'll face by talking to elementary school kids ahead of time? Or will that just worry them and just give them one more thing to think that is different? You know, calm, loving manner, talking to them is really beneficial. Plus modeling, let's play with our masks on. Let's have a conversation with each other with our masks on. Let's look at appropriate and inappropriate ways to take our masks off when we need to have a drink or when we need to participate in an activity where we are given permission because we're in a very small group of people with our teacher to take our mask off. Um, if we're aware that the teachers are gonna wear face screens, um, maybe it's worth spending $10 and getting one of the face shields so that they can see what it looks like to have an adult with one of those on as their new normal at school. 
And when they ask the question, how much longer do we have to do this? How do you answer to your child when he asks that? I, I said, we don't know yet, but we hope in the next couple months, <clears throat> things will get better. And we, we hope that by 2021, we, we will be able to have a new normal that doesn't involve so much stress. Anything else I'm missing for families who are sending kids back to an in-person system that you want to go over? We talked about the psychological impact. We talked about kind of ways to prepare them and get ready to wear that mask all day. But anything else you want to say to parents um, who are either willingly or unwillingly in this position? So the other things I would just be really cognizant of, and this is probably the hardest things for the parents to deal with, is be prepared for the fact that if there's an outbreak at your child's school, you're going to be thrown into um, a choice that you don't want to have to deal with. Um, and so you need to be at peace with the fact that sending them back um, is the choice or the decision you're, you're making or having to make. But there is going to be an underbelly to that in that we don't know. Like the data internationally is very very um, complicated. And some places where they've done very specific public health things, they've been able to successfully do it without having to close schools. Some places where they rushed into it globally, they've had schools shutting down for two weeks at a time off and on since they opened. Um, and so I really want adults who are sending their kids back face to face to have a ready dealt with all of that psychologically because they are going to end up causing so much more harm to their kids if they haven't come to terms with that risk that you know we are dealing with right now yeah you know um so many parents feel judged you know i and I know parents who still haven't made decisions for like, uh, there's obviously no dis great decision to be made, but what do you say from a psychological perspective um, to parents who are just having a really difficult time even picking what to do? Because like you said, the, the consequences on both sides, I think people who are sending their kids into school are sick of hearing people say, you could kill someone. And the people who are keeping their kids, kids home are sick of hearing, you're gonna permanently mentally damage your child. It's like, there is no good option here. What do you say to us? We need, we need some therapy here, Michelle. <laughs> well, we need, to, we need to take our own self-care seriously right now. Um, we need, this is a great time if you don't already have some form of mindfulness practice and present moment awareness practices right here, right now, this is the time to master something like that. Whether that's meditation or yoga or taking a walk by yourself. Heck, if you are a single mom and you have kids who are always on top of you all the time, make your shower your mindfulness practice. Mm -hmm. But really give yourself that three to 10 minutes to fully and completely be in your own body. Um, because if we can get ourselves a little more balanced, we can deal better with everything for ourselves and our kids and this crazy right. moment. Ugh. Okay, let's lean into the virtual side of things and ask some specific questions for parents who are going to be in that position. The, what I just said is a lot of people's biggest concern. Am I socially um, damaging my child, mentally damaging my child by keeping them out of a typical school environment um, for the near future? 
the reality is probably not. And this is hard. People, people really are struggling with this, especially because the American Pediatric Association, the CDC, decided to go with outdated data on homeschoolers when they made their decision. Um, and I'm really like, please forgive me, but they used, they did not use any psychological research studies. They did they took data from a medical study from pediatricians to make their decision that is 20 years outdated. Um, the reality is, is that from psychology's perspective and most of the work done by other mental health professionals, um, even kids who have to be pulled out of school for two years due to cancer treatments um, end up being very resilient and do not end up long-term damaged or harmed in any way um, by being kept safe. And when we think about immunocompromised kids right now, they don't have a choice. It's not about their parents' decisions. Those kids are out whether or not the rest of us want to send our kids back to school. And the reality is most of them are just fine. I mean, I have college students um, that I teach at Rollins who survived cancer as children and were out of school for two to three years. Um, and if those kids are now thriving extroverts at Rollins College, I think we need to take a deep breath and not be so worried. Like we may cause our children harm if we're screaming at them all the time while they're virtually fooling. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I just, for the podcast listeners, I just made a face. No, listen, we had some, we had like 10 round blowouts here, you know, during the spring semester. It's just screaming. I know so many parents have because, you know, that was when we were just starting, but um, we were in the position for the first time to have to be our kids' own educators and it's hard. So I think people are having some, I'm not saying this term lightly, I think there's some PTSD, people who have come to the conclusion that virtual is the way to go for X number of reasons, but they're still terrified out of their mind to do it. Absolutely. And I think for, for all of the folks who are in that boat, we need to do a lot more of those breathing activities I was just referring to and find ways to create systems and structures. And if you have the capacity to borrow a teenager for a couple hours a day or hire a tutor or get a babysitter part-time, if those are options for you, then I say start thinking about putting those in place now. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't have a choice at all in March. Right now we have a whole lot of choice. We can make decisions to make things work better. Okay, so from a practical standpoint, planning our weeks, if we are choosing virtual, do you suggest that parents who have the ability to, um, I won't say squeeze in, but to complete the bulk of their academic work, say in two to three full days and then give them two days off, do you suggest a couple of hours every day? Is there a proven method that better educates kids when we're talking about doing it remotely? So that's going to actually depend to some degree on what the school is rolling out as the virtual option. So if you're doing an FLVS, Florida virtual school model, nationally there are those types of models that are based on K-12 um, virtual education. Um, those are going to be a lot more autonomous, um, but they're going to have less interaction with their real world teacher. Um, whereas I know in Seminole County, and I'm pretty sure this is one of the options Orange County rolled out, there's basically the GoProing the teacher option. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that. And, and again, bearing in mind, not everyone is here in Florida, but I think right. probably 
people will have those similar options. Like you said, the option to go statewide virtual, which gives you the work and says do it, or where you have to sit in front of a computer all day and listen <laughs> to your teacher. Now, to me, that sounds like the harder option, but um, is there any like scientifically backed um, evidence that shows one way is better than the other, like doing it autonomously or kind of being there with the teacher as he or she is instructing? So they, these are very great questions. And I'll say that the virtuous, virtual synchronous schooling, which is the GoPro teacher um, model, allows for the children to socialize and interact socially. And that, that's a little trickier with younger ones, but that model works very, very well with middle schoolers and high schoolers if they're willing to really immerse themselves into what's going on. Um, I'm teaching that way for Rollins College this summer, and um, I have very robust project-based learning going on in a virtual space. So that's the value of the synchronous GoPro teacher model. Um, but it does feel like, oh my gosh, my kids are gonna be in front of the screen so much more. Um, the reality is though, our kids at home in that environment are gonna have all those breaks where they do bathroom breaks, they're walking in the hallways, they're going to specials where they're not gonna be tied to the computer at all. Um, so at the end of the day, they're gonna end up with three or four hours worth of screen time, um, which for better or worse, a lot of kids have done this summer um, regarding- Does um, Roblox count as education? <laughs> I mean, um, something good's got to be coming out of the time they're spending on that game. Right. Oh, Lord. Um, so, so, and the good thing about that model is that then when they do get to go back in person, they already know who who's in their class. They already have familiarity with their teacher. Um, the adjustment curve to that model is going to be a little bit steeper because they're actually going to have to adjust to the flow of the school day with a live stream of a teacher in the classroom. On the other end of the spectrum, the completely do it on your own model works really well for some kids. Um, that's kind of the model of virtual schooling that's been around for a long time. It's often very useful for um, gifted kids who get impatient with waiting on the teacher. It's very useful for kids who already have that intrinsic capacity to say, okay, I got this. I'm going to get through the work and move on. And they value um, their autonomy over having anyone there to help them. Yeah. And, you know, I know I speak for a lot of elementary school aged um no, not children, but you know, parents of children yeah. who are in elementary school who who really are trying to familiarize themselves with how their child learns best. We still don't know, you know. Like I have a I have a son going into second grade, and I think I'm just, you know, finally starting to understand how he learns best, what works for him. So um is, is there anything we can do, any exercise we can do ahead of time to understand if we have the option, if we're doing virtual, whether that autonomous, that self-led is better, or whether we should stick with our district for the live in-person stuff? Or is it just kind of a test both and see how it goes? Well, there's a couple of ways to see how they respond. I mean, there's things like, you could actually have them do something like ABC Mouse 
or um, the bigger kid version of that um, for a period of time where you actually watch how they engage with something that's that autonomous. Um, So that's one way. Or with younger kids, you can also just have them do PBS kids and can they keep themselves on track to get through a set of things that they need to accomplish in an hour. Um, Those are ways to kind of test out whether the fully virtual um, state level school would be a good option for them. Um, If they don't like that, um, or if they're constantly asking for you to help them in those environments, I would lean towards the um, teacher-led virtual schooling. Um, Also, if you have kids who at any age are bugging out that they need more social interaction, but you know you need to keep them home um, for a virtual option, I would definitely go with the live streaming option um, because that will give them FaceTime with their teacher and their peers. And um, it's not the same as being able to touch and feel your friends, but I don't think anyone's going to be allowed to hug at school this year anyway. It's a bummer. <laughs> Isn't it a bummer? I have a daughter going to kindergarten and, uh, you know, that's like one of the things I remember most about kindergarten sitting on the mats and yes. being able to hug the teacher. Yes. It's just, you know, like we've said so many times in this conversation, it's just sad, but it it's, it's not going to be like this forever. I have to remind myself of that. Sometimes I feel that, you know, our kids will never you know, they're sort of absorbing our energy from this too. And I can tell if they're a little off, it's probably because I'm distracted with all yeah. of what's happening too, but it's impossible not to be because um, it's just, it's a really difficult and, and challenging moment. My kids keep coming into this room. Now, if you're listening on the podcast, you can't see, thank God, but um, they keep walking in. So let me go shut the door because there's a vacuum running. Hold on one second. Can you hear the vacuum? No. Okay. At least I know they're keeping things clean out there. Um, All right. So um, I want to get into some specific questions that were submitted. Put this out uh, yesterday. I think we covered some of these, Michelle. So if we did, you can just kind of blow through them a little quicker. But the first one is, how do you prep for school when it's going to be so different? So we talked a little bit about um, conversations we can have with our kids about masks and all that other stuff. Anything that we missed that you want to include? One thing we were just touching on is to, you know, remind them that going back to school in person may not be like they remember it and that social distancing is going to be enforced masks are going to be enforced that means that being there means that from six feet apart you get to say hey to your friends um and just to help them understand what that that's going to be like so that they're not shocked um And if you haven't, you know, if you haven't interacted with the outside world, it it might be a good field trip to one one at a time, at least take your kids to a Publix or somewhere else that they're very good at enforcing the masks and the guidelines, um, because that's a little bit more like what the schools are going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Okay. This one says, how do you keep your kids' anxiety down when it comes to mask wearing, constant cleaning, hand washing, et cetera? We've just got to make it normal. And their anxiety in general, I go back to mindfulness practices. They're never too young to learn to breathe and find ways to be in their own bodies. And, um, you know, my son and I, he he's six, do cosmic kids yoga, um, which is an amazing Uh yoga program specifically geared to younger kids um you know finding things that work for your family intentionally 
to deal with stress and anxiety. We have to recognize this is stressful. This is not a walk in the park for anyone. And our kids are very aware of what's going on. So let's be proactive and give them the opportunity to feel their feelings and validate them and also find ways to be more grounded and centered. That actually leads into the next question is how can I tell if my child is depressed from this lockdown? Or I guess we'll use the blanket term of experiencing any emotional (laughs) difficulties. So depression indicators are gonna be varied depending on the child. Um, If they become non-responsive, very listless, um, if they're losing their appetite or seemingly like constantly hungry without being active, all of those could be underlying symptoms of um, acute depression. I would not go and rush into diagnosing anyone with clinical depression under these circumstances unless they're pre-existing clinical depression going on. Um, but acute depression and acute anxiety are a fairly common thing right now. Um, that means that the circumstances that we are living through are causing us to become depressed and anxious. They suck. Clin- that is not a clinical term. But these these conditions of the world suck right now. Oh my gosh, so much. Okay. Um, good thing I'm not a doctor. I would just be like, listen, it just sucks right now. That's all I can tell you. <laughs> um, okay. This question says, how can teachers be expected to keep kids socially distanced? K through third grade level, especially. So we're kind of speaking to the educators in the room here. Well, internationally, we're doing things like like buying um, big totes that we store stuff in and cutting the lids in half. And that's where the ki- kindergarten through first and second graders sit during carpet time. I mean, they're being very creative. In Singapore and Japan, they have um, wings that they have on the kids that go out three feet on either side of them. That is so cute. Yeah, (laughs) wow. So teachers have the capacity to be creative and innovative. If we gave them more resources, um, we could do things that are very imaginative and even make this a little bit magical. Right now, I think it's just a matter of um, use that amazing creativity that you have as a teacher and um, find ways to make it fun and not stressful. Love that. Okay, next question says, how do you get a five-year-old to properly keep on a mask? We kind of hit on this, but if you want to quickly address that again. (laughs) I do it all the time. Um, Kieran is my son and he, he and I practiced right away, like right when he was five turning six. Um, and, you know, make sure it fits them properly, make sure that they know how to put it on and off independently um, and make sure that, um, you know, you get them a material that's comfortable and smells good to them, feels good to them. Um, because if all of those things are true, it's going to be a lot easier for them to keep it on um, without complaining or tugging at it. Love it. Okay. Next question is, uh, we went virtual, but a lot of my friends are going back face-to-face. How do I explain our decisions so it resonates? I, uh, with this, I would say I am choosing to keep my kids virtual because that's the right decision for my family and stuff. And if they're your close friends and they want to know more, then of course, explain to them your specific reasons. But in general, in a broader social circle, um, that's all you need to say. 
because you know you're not judging them for their decisions um you are making the decision that's right for you and your family okay so next question is uh my child wants to go back to school i think in this case the child is older uh so i'm letting him how do i keep my mind from racing to worst case scenarios this one's hard and i i made the opposite decision with my 16 year old as much as she wants to go back um especially because i'm very close to my mom and part of why we moved to florida from california was my mom was going through breast cancer i told her that is not an option for you um but if i was letting my daughter go back i would have to find it within myself to feel comfortable that she was making the right decision. And with an older child, middle school, high school level, I would make sure that not only do they have one mask with them, that they have a variety of masks that they like, that they are clear about when they are allowed to have that off and when they need to have it on, that they are absolutely good about washing their hands all the time and that they are respecting social distancing once they're in fourth or fifth grade or older they have the capacity to know what six feet looks like by eyeball they have the capacity to understand you know why you don't ever walk into the hallway without the mask on um and I, you know i i would make sure that they have all of those things and plenty of hand sanitizer and disinfecting wipes with them and you know i would have them this is your pandemic kit and that's your backpack mm -hmm. make it clear yeah make it clear that these are the resources you need to stay safe yeah. and you better use them <laughs> absolutely and my just to be clear my daughter works at wawa she got her first job right before the pandemic hit and so i'm not letting her back to school face to face because i don't trust the school's capacity to do things well at this point um because it's a social experiment but i know that my daughter knows if i did let her go back um to wear her mask the whole time that she is very good about like cleaning things and making sure that everybody else is respecting those things and so i think that um there are a lot of ways with older kids to make sure that they are taking empowered stance in being safe if they go back to school mm -hmm. and letting us know if if the school is not a safe environment oh that's good too yeah ask questions and say how are you yeah. feeling yeah what are they doing yeah. Like yeah, because we don't know what's going to happen. Like if there are 35 kids jammed into a high school classroom and there's no spacing between them, our older kids are the ones who need to be telling us that if we're letting them go back to school, um, because that's the point at which we need to be um, standing up for what is right for not only our kids, but for the kids as a whole. Absolutely. Final question is, am I doing more damage to my four-year-old by keeping him out of school away from his friends? No. No, I just had this conversation with my sister, um, who's a VA social worker, so she cannot avoid being in the midst of the pandemic. And she was going to send her um, four-year-old to VPK at a darling little school in Mount Dora where they live. And um, she said she she can't do it and that at the end of the day my four-year-old niece just like this person's four-year-old is not going to know the difference um as long as they can play and have fun at home um four-year-olds yes they they value socialization but socialization in a vpk or preschool environment this fall 
is not going to be what our children are craving. No matter how much we wish for that, that is not gonna be what they're dealing with. Um, they're gonna be dealing with stressed out teachers, environments where they are not allowed to just be kids. I think in general, our little ones are way better at home if we're able to keep them there, being wild and crazy and creative in a safe home environment where they can just be kids. That's far more valuable to them than, than the type of socialization they'll get in a preschool this fall. Even if they're watching the Lorax all day or something. <laughs> I'm asking for a friend, Michelle, okay? <laughs> Not all day, but like, you know, a few hours. I'm a horrible parent. Oh my God. Even Um. if they're watching, even if they're getting too much screen time, especially because we are in Florida and it's a million degrees, so we can't send them outside as easily right now. Um, (laughs) So, you know, remind them at least once a day to get some fresh air. Um, Remind them that there are toys that they could be playing with. They don't just have to stare at the TV. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, even even if that's how they're coping. And I think that's what we're seeing in a lot of kids right now. Yeah, well, I I do have kind of a piggyback question to that. Like, I'm not saying this um, in jest. I think we'll probably come out of this pandemic having more kids addicted to devices across all ages. And that addiction is real, but, um, I guess we don't worry about that now. Like what, what do we do? Because like you said, um, we're going to be getting into the fall and winter up North virtual parents are going to stay inside for that reason here in Florida, it is hot as Hades. So we're inside. Um, can we fix this problem later? I guess is what I'm asking the addiction and the too much screen time, because right now it's, it is sort of one tool that parents are using to give themselves that those few moments of sanity. And I do think some people, myself included, I'm worried that I'm doing long-term damage, you know, by, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of activating that addiction part of their brain with these devices. And I, I truly lose sleep over this in all seriousness. So I am very much like in general, when I teach human development, I'm like screen time is too much. We need to get them unplugged. I'm going to say something very counter, contrary to my normal stance. If that is the way that your family is surviving right now, the damage to your children is reversible. Um, don't let them, you know, get down into a black hole of like high level uh, multiplayer universe type of addiction behavior. If you're dealing with an older kid or a high schooler, I would put boundaries around that. If we're talking the Lorax and PBS kids and random free downloadable games on devices that they get sick of after 30 seconds, the actual addiction mechanisms are not being engaged on that level. It's more of the satisfaction of like a sugar rush or, um, you know, caffeine. Um, yes, it can be addictive. Is that going to permanently harm them? Not really. Um, you know, kids who spend eight hours a day playing Sims are maybe addicted, but they're not actually being harmed similarly you know, many of us survived in a world where we were staring at TV when our parents were not around. Um, we will survive. Our kids will survive. Um, the points at which we need to intervene is if they literally can't keep themselves glued together if you decide as a family to go to a park mm-hmm. or get outside or you decide you can go swimming. 
and they they're like no i need a device at that point maybe we want to do a minor intervention and you know <laughs> putting some limits around the screen time what if a kid comes in in the middle of your interview that you told him you'd be here and asks for his ipad no i mean we we really like this could be a whole i i will track down a um a technology expert or an addiction expert at some point, because this is, I, I is so real, but man, it's, um, it's just hard. Like you said, we're trying to designate time just to the latter part of the day in the afternoon, you get a certain amount of time, but it is so hard. Right it now. is so hard. Um, and you know, a compromise that some of us are making is we can have the TV on, but small screens are under limited mm -hmm. access. Right. Um, okay you know, play with the toys, have the TV on as background noise, we'll revert to what was the norm in the 80s and 90s in right. a lot of households. The um, lesser of the two evils. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, Michelle, you have been fantastic. I do want to mention that for anybody who's in Florida, who's looking to sort of customize an education plan, I want you to explain very quickly what you do, how you're accessible. So people who are here can kind of reach out and, and, and use your help. Well, and actually I'm doing this nationally. Um, oh, so, awesome. Yeah. Okay. I, I know you as local, so that's good to know that you do for everyone. Yes. So um, I, in the midst of the pandemic, took something that was a side project of mine, which is um, parent coaching and educational empowerment work um, and turned it into a company. My business is um, under my nickname, which is drmitchtish.com. And I'm sharing that with Sunny so that she can share it um, through her social channels. Um, with you all, but I'm available for doing one-on-one -on -one parent coaching, um, as well as doing specifically for this fall. Um, mm -hmm. I've set up a program where I'm going to do consultations with families in order to help you not only sort out the decision-making process in terms of virtual face-to-face, -face, what version of it you want to do, but also how do we create the systems and structures for our family and how do we build in um, social and emotional well-being under kind of the umbrella of that's right not just surviving for 2020 so you'll even break it down to give like giving us daily schedules or suggesting what and where exactly to go to keep the kids Absolutely. taken care of oh yeah. i love that okay that's great so we find that at dr mischich d-r-m-i-c-h-t-i-c-h.com i'll put it in show notes too. Yes. okay yes. so can we book right through your site you can Okay, um, great. And I also shared um, with you, Sunny, a uh, link for my contact and bio, which has uh, social media quick links to reach me. Um, but if people want to find me on social or on Facebook, it's at Dr. Mishtish, um, at Instagram, Twitter, um, and Facebook. I can be found at that. Um, and then I do now have a group called the Heart of Educational Psychology on Facebook, which is um, geared around parents who would like to do some deeper work around all of these issues. Well, you are fantastic. And I can't express to you how grateful I am that you took time to speak with me and share all this good info. So thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you very much, Sunny. I enjoyed myself and I look forward to being of assistance to people in the near future. Okay, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Um, listen, we're going down to the wire over here. I think we've made up our mind. We're leaning virtual at the moment. Ask me how that's working out in like four weeks. 
it's probably not going to be pretty. But, you know, you go by the gauge of that instinct that you have. That's where I'm leaning. Um, all of which to say it could change tomorrow. But um, I know I just found Michelle's advice uh, so enlightening. Like I said at the top of the episode here, Michelle is offering a free 30-minute consultation, a one-on-one consult. So if you're interested in doing that and talking about your options, and this could be weighing both sides of the argument or the decision, in addition to finding good um, good plans if you're choosing virtual. So she has all the resources you'll need if you choose that option. Here's how you do it. Go to her website, drmishtish.com. How cute is that website? D-R-M-I-C-H-T-I-C-H.com. She's also on Instagram at drmishtish. I'm on Instagram at Sunny Abata, S-O-N-N-I-A-B-A-T-T-A. You're welcome for my kids screaming in the background. Sorry about that. Um, there we go. See, that's going to be my life for the next six months. Jesus, take the wheel. Okay, it's going to be bad. Anyhow, rate, review, subscribe. Guys, that makes a huge difference. Pass on the good word about this podcast to friends. And thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I'll see you guys next week next week with some good stuff. Have a great one. Stay safe. Stay sane. I will talk to you soon.